Okay, so we all know people who are puzzle people, and some of you guys are those people, God bless you. And those are people who, um, every time you go to their house, they have a puzzle out. They're always in process of putting some puzzle together. Um, I've never been a puzzle person. I only like the kids one. If, you got a, if it's got a knob on it, and you can, you know, do that one, it's like, done. There we go, five pieces. My aunt, my aunt was like a puzzle person, and when she lived this for a little bit, she would always have the, you know, the 3,000, 5,000 puzzles, just pieces everywhere, and I was always like, like how do you know where, like, where any of this is supposed to go? And she goes, oh, baby, and they would say, baby, oh, baby, um, just look at the box, and here's the picture of where it's supposed to look like, and all I have to do is take these little puzzles, puzzles and put them together. I'm like, that sounds horrible, but I got the idea, right? And you have this picture which says, this is what all these pieces, when they're put together, here's what it's going to look like. They're, here's exactly what it's supposed to look like. We can take our cues when it comes to living in the mission of God if we looked at the end of the story. That if we seen what God was doing in the work and through the work of his son Jesus and what God was establishing, if we had an imagination of the kingdom fully realized, then we could know how to put the puzzles today in living as the church and the people of God together to begin to reflect what God is ultimately doing. So when we read Revelation, we see this beautiful picture where God takes heaven, and it's not a place that we go to, but it says that heaven comes down and renews this material world. And then what's begin in a garden actually ends in a city, and so we have this garden city picture, um, ultimately in the middle is the glory of God. And then think about any city that you've been to and how eclectic and diverse every city that you've ever been to, except for Portland. Um, when you get to that, those particular cities, what? I'm sorry, it's just the real facts. So you have this city of multiple people. Well, then the writer of Revelation, John, also talks about in this city, every nation and every tribe are worshiping together. There's this beautiful picture where God says all of our tears, they would be wiped away, and ultimately there's healing and renewal and not even the presence of sin. So that's the picture that God has in mind, and we sit here saying, okay, now in response to the work of Christ and what God is doing, empowered by his spirit, now we can put the pieces together. Acts chapter 10 shows us how God initiates that work and taking one, the vertical relationships of people with himself and now horizontally and bringing people who were far off, not just near, but making them one and how the process in itself is easier said than it is done. And it's in a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're looking at this morning. You guys ready? If you weren't, oh well. All right, here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And so here's a scene right now. Um, last week, we were reintroduced to Peter. Peter had been off the scene for a while. Peter goes into one city. There was a man who was paralyzed. By God's grace, he healed this man and he was no longer paralyzed. He gets called to another city because they, they knew he was close. He comes to that city, and there's a woman who died, if you guys can recall. This woman had died, and the people in whom she served, the widows, came to Peter, and they were weeping, saying, do you see the clothes she made for us? Like, we would not have these clothes. Like, they, they, she made them some nice clothes. They didn't get them from Ross. They weren't dressing for less. This lady had made them some clothes. They said, we need her. God raised her from the dead through Peter. So that's what we heard about Peter. Peter's now in Joppa, which is about 31 miles away from this place called Caesarea. Now, in Caesarea, Caesarea is a predominantly Romish, Romish. That's not even a word. In Caesarea, it's a predominantly Romish place, right? And so there's a lot of people who are Roman in this Romish place. 
with that, there's a man there uh, that is named Cornelius, and Cornelius is a satyrian. And what that means is he's in charge of a particular large amount of soldiers. So this man is not just a Roman soldier, not just Roman, but he's elite. But it, we're going to learn about this man, but what we know so far is that he's leading this group of uh, soldiers, and they're called the Italian Cohort. Like, which is about as good of a name as you can get. Like, the, like, you don't mess with the ICs, right? Like, he's the head of the ICs. But it says something about him. It says that he's devout, so he loves the Lord. It says that he gives alms, so he cares about justice and the poor. Um, it says that not only him, but his family, so he's a man that's leading his family, so he has a sense of fear of God. Next thing it says, and he says he prayed continually. So this, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. So the way I look at him is he's not yet in Christ, but he has a sensitivity to who God is. He's got a fear of God. He's contemplating the things of God. His language is not, probably not there yet. Maybe his attitude is not there yet, but he has an understanding of God. He was like the Kendrick Lamar of his day, right? And so what you have here, somebody goes, Kendrick Lamar, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so, so he's praying as he normally did. And while he's praying, an angel showed up to him. He opened up his eyes, he stared at the angel, and he was afraid, right? Right? Exactly, because so would you, right? Sometimes you go, well, why is he afraid? It's an angel. If you were praying, you wake up like you normally do, you got on your knees and prayed for an hour like you normally do, and then you saw an angel flapping his wings, right? You'd be like, wait a minute, right? You'd be afraid. The angel starts speaking to him and says, listen, we've heard your prayers. The Lord has heard your prayers. We've seen the acts of justice and alms that you've done. And, and God is about to bless you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some people to Joppa. There's a man there named Simon Peter. He's there. And he's standing with another man named Simon the Tanner. Don't get these names confused. Make sure it's Simon P, not Simon T. Okay, one is used by God. He's an apostle. The other one, he tans. He's a tanner. All right? And so he's at his house, and he's standing there by the sea. Send your men up there. And so he sends his men. Okay, we have to pause here to give the context. Because there is such a cultural difference. It's not like this difference is so different than most of us have experienced, that, that the Jew-Gentile thing is enormous. Because most of us in this room are Gentiles, and if you're going, I don't even know what a Gentile is. A Gentile is anyone who's not ethnically Jew. So most of us are pork-eating Gentiles, right? That is exactly, and it's all good. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening here, but furthermore than that, so this guy is a Roman soldier. The, 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 the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people, they didn't get along with Rome. They didn't get along with Rome at all. They had been over them and in a lot of ways oppressing them. And so now this man who's devout, and we got to understand the context here. When the Bible talks about people who are devout, they're usually talking about men or women who believe and are sensitive to the things of God, meaning they may go to synagogue, they may worship, 
Um, They follow God morally and so forth, but they have not become Jewish. There are some Gentile people who would go all the way and become Jewish, and that means that as the men, that they would be circumcised. As a a God-fearing man, it says that he went all the way, but he did not get circumcised. And I know we giggle at that sometimes, like, uh, but like, first of all, stop giggling. Um, Second of all, is that was more, that was less of a medical procedure, more of identification. And at this point, in order to be right with God's people and ultimately with God, people believe that you had to be circumcised. But the centurion is not. So he's a devout Jew. Now, God is doing something in his life. He's already revealed himself. This man had already been devout. He'd already been a worshiper. But he hadn't yet met Jesus yet. But God was preparing him. And an angel shows up to him. He's heard his prayers, which is something very unique. One, God always does the preparatory work before he even gives someone fully the spirit that may trust and know Jesus. There's always somebody in our life that we go, you could just see it. Like, they're not there. Like, they're not in Christ yet. But, man, it just seems, it seems like God is at work. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is at work. But, as we've said this before, just because God is at work in one person's life or one group of people's life doesn't mean that he's at work in somebody else's life. And you need him to be at work in both people's lives in order for there to be reconciliation, in order for there to be oneness. Just think about that practically. If some dude came up to you and said, hey, there's this girl I've been praying about, I've been praying about this girl, and an angel showed up to me, scared me, and then was like, hey, you're supposed to marry this girl. And then you go to the girl, and the girl was like, no, that's funny, I was praying. An angel showed me and says, don't marry you, right? That's a problem. <laughs> like, he's got to work the same way in both their lives in order for them to become one, just practically, right? Practically. So now what we see on the other side is the Lord is now about to show up in Peter's life. If we are like Peter and we grew up as Hebrew people, we were told there's just certain customs that we have culturally that would make us, put us in a position to not associate with the Gentiles. So let's try to put it in some of our even context. Um, my wife and I were talking about this and some friends were over and we we're just having this conversation. There are things that we just do culturally different and not because I'm black and she's white. Well, because I'm black and she's white, there are some things that, that we do sometimes that are culturally different. And sometimes it's not just color, it's just culture. So when we had the boys, I just assumed that there was a certain way we would parent the boys. I assumed that when they talked to an adult, they were going to say, Mr., Mrs., yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Like, is that, that says how we were raised. If, my, if I was a child and um, my mom heard me talking to an adult, let's just say I was talking to someone whose name was Ryan, and I was like, hey, Ryan, my mom would be like, bam, pout me in my mouth, which was not abuse, it was correction. And then... And, <laughs> And, and it was like, excuse me, young man. I'm like, excuse me, Mr. Ryan, right? There's some sort of title. But then when we were raising the boys, we're like, we're gonna, they're going to say, yes, sir, no, sir. And Holly's like, yeah, but think about it. Every time the boys say that to somebody, somebody, oh, no, no, sir, that's my father. <laughs> Just call me Ryan, right? <laughs> that's not how people talk. <laughs> but sometimes. <laughs> and, and it was like, all right. And there's this cultural, is one right or wrong? I don't think one's right or wrong. It's just culturally different. And then the context when my, my, my family, who's going to be in town, when they hear the boys talk and they just talk to adults by saying their name, I can see that look my mom gives like, oh, hmm. <laughs> That's how we're doing it, huh? <laughs> and I just point to Holly, A. <laughs> so there's cultural differences. Okay, now their cultural difference weren't just cultural, they were always also religious. Because God had, did say certain things, like not to eat certain things, uh, to live as a distinct people. But during the time, at the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament, there were extra laws that were given, not by God, but by the culture. And these things were put in such a place 
in such a way that the people of God would remain clean. Because if they did certain things, they would be unclean. Therefore, that they could not worship. Like if they were around some Gentile friends who had touched meat that they weren't supposed to touch, or they had touched a dead body, or something that made them clean, if they just went and gave them some, some dabs, um, what would happen is that they weren't able to worship, and so they would find themselves being separated. Not even just being prejudiced, but being separated, though prejudices came as well. So you wouldn't find yourself intermingling. You wouldn't eat with. You wouldn't dine with. And so this is a huge, huge difference that we need to understand. So God has to do a miraculous work in Peter's life for him to even understand it. Let's go a little further. When it comes to the conversation of race in our culture, sometimes we always say that things like the church of the people should be the people who get it. And I actually believe that. I think that we should be on the front ends of anything that comes close to racial re reconciliation if we understand the gospel. But it's not that just because we believe in Jesus, immediately we get it. Here's Peter. Peter was there. He walked with Jesus. Peter was there um, when Jesus was crucified. Peter was there when he seen him resurrected. Peter was there when the Spirit fell upon the church and everybody started speaking in different languages. Peter stepped forth and he gave a powerful sermon and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was there when he was healing people. Peter was there when God raised people from the dead. Believe it or not, God raising people from the dead was something that was more likely for Peter to get in line with than even seeing him now worship with the Gentile. Like that, 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 that's a harder thing for him. So, so, so what are you saying, Ricardo? I'm glad you guys asked. Is that just because you're in Christ Jesus and the gospel of Jesus is in you doesn't mean that you've arrived or you get it. If you think you get it, you may not be getting it. And if you actually acknowledge that you don't get it, you may actually be on the way to actually getting it. And some of you just said amen to that. You're like, I still don't understand. <laughs> you might be getting it. <laughs> right? So Peter is in this context now where God has to move miraculously. So we pick back up here in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So just to recap what happened, Peter is praying. He goes on the rooftop, he's praying. He's praying to the Lord, he's hungry. He knows they're downstairs, they're cooking food. He's at the top praying. And then he falls into a trance or a vision. All of a sudden, he sees from heaven, like a blanket, like picnic blanket, and he sees these different animals. And the animals that are represented are animals that they're not supposed to eat. And he's looking at this dream like, what's going on? And he hears a voice says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And he's the Lord. And he goes, no, nah, Lord, I'm, I, don't, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. And when you tell God no, <laughs> it doesn't usually work out, <laughs> right? And so it says it happens three times, and he wakes up. He still doesn't know what the dream means yet. Dreams are tricky. All of us have had dreams. And we've all had dreams. You've had the, those dreams that you wake up, and you're glad it was a dream because there's some stuff you did that you know, like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this. You wake up, whew. Uh, some of you guys are like, no, not me. Hmm. Uh, and then you have dreams that you go, Lord, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, I was talking to someone after the service, and she goes, I had a dream, because I had shared an experience about a dream that I'm not going to share with you guys. 
But um, I had, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I had this dream that uh, before I became to the Lord, came to the Lord, and it was a picture of a lamb and a lion, and there was lightning bolts coming out of the lamb's mouth, and I don't know for other, what other purpose that God used that dream, because this happened like weeks, like every night, and I'd wake up, and I'd always have the question, where am I at with the Lord? Because <laughs> I wasn't walking with the Lord, and I believe that was God's way to draw me to himself, right? You could say, well, it was something you ate. Well, it was something I ate that the Lord used to draw me to the Lord, whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> whatever it was, I, uh, I started following Jesus. <laughs> um, and so uh, a gal in the first service came to me, and she goes, it's amazing. And she goes, I had a dream, and you were in it. I'm like, oh, uh-oh, right? She goes, no, it was crazy. She, had, she did not have peace with her father when he passed away, and she just wanted that peace. And she prayed for it and prayed for it, and in her dream, the Lord brought her father. They had the peace. She, like, had her husband come in, and she's like, somehow you were in the other room, which dreams can get really awkward, uh, and, and she said, I came in, and we saw this whole moment, and I was, and she said, what do you think that means? I'm like, I, I, I think it's awesome. I don't know why I was there, but I think it's amazing that God would give you that. Do you sense that peace? She goes, yeah, ever since then, I've, I've had peace. I'm like, well, I think that's what that means, right? And that's all I had to say about that, right? So there's, <laughs> there's dreams, dreams sometimes, come on. We don't always know what our dreams mean. At this moment, Peter doesn't know. As soon as he wakes up, to paraphrase this next phase, he wakes up and the men show up. Remember, the men were being sent by, by Cornelius, and they're on their way. They get there. They're knocking at the door. Peter's upstairs. The Lord speaks to him again and says, the men, they're downstairs. And so here's what happens. Verse 20, it says, rise and go down and accompany with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you were looking for. What is the reason that for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to the house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them into, uh, in, into his guest, to be his guest. And so the next day, he, they stayed with him, which is a big deal, because now you have Gentiles staying with Jewish people. Um, big deal, they stay overnight because they had driven a whole day. They wake back up, and now they're going down to Caesarea, which had been another day's journey. And it says that Peter and a few of his friends came with him. And so they're traveling along. Peter still doesn't know what God is doing. He knows God's up to something, but he doesn't know because he doesn't know exactly what it is. There was the dream. There was the vision, but he doesn't know. And he knows now that there's a man um, who's a leader of the centurions, who's an important man. Remember, he's leading the Italian cohort, so he, you know, he's got some status. And this man has sent his people to come for him. So now they're all traveling back. And it says this. The next day he rose, and he went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted up lifted him up and said, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you, why have you sent for me? Like he's still going, guys, guys, I get it. This is great. This is, you, you sent me, you know, nice little drivers and everything. We came down. What is going on? You guys already know I shouldn't even be here. Like I shouldn't even be in this house with you guys. But the Lord, the Lord told me that the things I call common and unclean, he's saying that they're not. So like what am I here for? So you see God is at work in Cornelius. 
You see that God is working Peter, but they, they both still don't know yet. Like Cornelius is like, you're supposed to tell me something. And then Peter's like, but I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you. Okay, this is not about Cornelius, and this is not about Peter. This is completely the sovereign acts of God, this mercy and his grace and his love. We never lead. We only follow God. The essence of grace is God always initiates and gives us a gift. And if faithfulness looks like receiving that gift and living into and following what it is that Christ has for us as a people to participate in his mission. And we may not understand all the details yet. Believe it or not, God is a God of details. And sometimes he doesn't give us all the details. And I think that's important. So I'd be able to say, Lord, let us trust in your spirit. Because clearly right now the spirit is at work. He said, how do you know that? Because an angel showed up on one hand and there was a dream on another hand and the spirit of God is guiding them together. Okay, this is of the spirit. This is the activity of God. Verse 30, and Cornelius said four days ago, and then he retells what happened. He goes, I'm up at prayer. An angel shows up. They've been answering my prayer. They've been seeing the work I've been doing. And they told me to send for you. And so my thought is that you were going to tell me something. God, when it comes to advancing his mission, to advance in his kingdom, decides to use people like you and I. He doesn't just snap his finger and just make it happen, but he actually works his mission through very, very broken people like you and I. That there's nothing unique about Peter. There's everything that's unique about God. And there's nothing unique about Cornelius. There's everything that's unique about God. And God is at work in both of their lives and drawing them together in ways that wow them both. Well, then it says this in verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. But Peter hadn't been commanded anything. And so what Peter has to do is he's got to reach back to what did all that God tell me? And all you got to do is remember, what did God tell his people? You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem. People's like, I got that. Peter, I got that. This is my people. God, like, this is Jerusalem. Like, this is the language. Like, this is my people. But you're also going to be a witness that he says in Judea. I got that. Judea, I got people. I got some people in Judea. Judea. And they said, but also Samaria. Samaria. The Samaritans were like the biracial people. They were like half Jewish and then half Assyrian. And they were, they, were, they were family, but not really family. But Peter was like, I got that. But then he says, to the ends of the earth. Peter's now completely outside of his comfort zone. I ain't got no family here. Like, I, I don't understand this. But Peter's got to remember, this is what the Lord had said. And we said this from the beginning. When God said that you will be my witnesses, it wasn't an activity. It was an identity. And what it meant was, for Jewish people, at this time, they believed the way God was working was through Jerusalem and primarily through the temple. But now the way that God was advanced in kingdom was not a geographical location. That you didn't have to come to Jerusalem to come to God. But all you had to do is come to Jesus and come to Jesus was coming to God. And that would happen through wherever the gospel was preached. So now Peter's in this moment, like, whatever God has commanded you. And then Peter begins to experience something that he's never experienced. He's seen people healed. And he'd seen dead bodies been raised from the dead, both miraculous. But he'd never seen that God did not show partiality. He'd never seen Jew and Gentile. And here he was as a minority in this group of people outside of his context with Roman people presenting to them the same good news that he had seen work in the lives of so many Jewish men and women. But now he's about to see it work in the lives of the Gentiles, something he had never seen and probably never even imagined. Even though... <laughs> Even though God had promised this, not just in the New Testament, Peter knew that God had even said this in the Old Testament. That when God chose Abraham to start the nation of Israel, the family of Israel, the people of God, he says, Abraham, I'm blessing you that you may be a blessing to the other nations. 
And this was not something like, a, because I'm blessing you, if you guys want to, hook them up too. No, no, no. God is saying, the way that I'm doing my mission is I'm choosing you by grace, not by race. You are a particular people that are extended my grace has been extended to that you would live in light of who I am, that the nations may be glad and see and rejoice, not in Israel, but in God. But they failed in their mission. God didn't. He still worked through the people of Israel. And the way that he did is that he himself would put on Israel flesh and flesh of humanity. And that Christ would come into this world and by giving his body and his shed blood on the cross and through the power of the resurrection, that the nations, the ethnicities, the world may be glad. They may know and have the hope of the gospel. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through us preaching the gospel, that God is putting those pieces together that will look like the way that he intended it. And Peter now gets a glimpse of what that looks like. Just a glimpse. And here's what he says in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. It's interesting. Peter had read the Bible, so he knew that already. Peter had preached the gospel a gospel that was for all people, so he should have known that already. But yet he didn't get it until he was able to see it. There is something about being in a situation or a circumstance where God is at work, and that now you're able to see, wait a minute, this is bigger than me. And I've shared this with you before. When, um, when Holly and I were, were dating, and I was going back to meet her, her family back in California, and I had asked her, like, hey, do your parents know that I'm black? And she goes, yeah, they know, but that doesn't matter. I'm like, well, 10 years from now, they're, they're going to make a movie called Get Out, and it's weird. Give <laughs> And uh, so, we, <laughs> yeah. so then we get, to, we get to Sacramento, and one of the things she told me before in Sacramento, that her grandmother was just, you know, like, she just wasn't there racially, right? And like, not there, like, what do you mean, is she on her way? We're, like, <laughs> she almost here? And like, it was awkward, like, when, you know, she's, she was 85 and just a different world and whatnot, but it was awkward, like, knowing that someone doesn't relate to you because of your skin color, right? And not just relate to you, but like won't talk to you. But I chalked it up as like, that, I'm not marrying her grandmother, so we'll figure it out. Um, and at our wedding, at our wedding, um, you know, there's multiple, I mean, there's our, this is super diverse at our wedding. It was, it was a blast. It was my, fi- my side of the family and Holly's side of the family, which was funny as all get out, because like going back to culture things, like my, <laughs> the way black people do family, like everybody's family. So when the photographer was like, we need to get the families up to take a picture, everybody was in our picture. And it was like this whole side of like my family, right? And it was like Holly's mom and dad and grandmother and brother, right? And it was like my uncle, his girlfriend, like they're not even together anymore. It's culture. It's culture. And so during that wedding ceremony, hearing the gospel and seeing the vows that we made before Christ and seeing the people around that will come alongside of us in this, in this marriage. By the time the wedding, the actual ceremony was over and the reception was going on, she came up to us, and it was as if God had shown her, when it comes to the gospel, God shows no partiality, so why do I? Like, it, was, it wasn't that she didn't know Christ. She knew Christ. But the gospel has to go deeper in our lives that we understand its implications to every area of our life, not just race and culture, but every area. It wasn't that Peter was not a leader. He was the leader of the church. Like, he knew Jesus. He saw him. He still didn't get it. And actually, because he didn't get it, he was actually able to get it even more. And you, I would love to tell you, and Peter never had a problem with this again. We actually, Peter does have a problem with this. We see it about in Galatians chapter 2. We are constantly at, like, God is constantly at work with us. 
We used to sing a song at my church I grew up, please be patient with me, God is not through with me yet. That should be like the anthem of every follower of Christ. It's the reason why non-Christians, if you're in this room, you have issues with Christianity because you say they're hypocrites. And in some ways we are because please be patient with us, God is not through with us yet. So let's not pretend that he is. And so if we follow him with that, with that sense, we understand that when we step into it, we begin to see a little bit, when we collectively worship together, a little bit what the end may look like. And Peter says, wait a minute, I'm seeing the spirit move in ways I've never seen. I, I just, a few days ago or a few weeks ago, I just saw a woman been raised from the dead, and yet somehow this is even more miraculous than I've ever could imagine. And what does he do? He, do, he does exactly what all of us need to do and what he's been commanded to do. He just preaches the gospel. He knows what they need is the good news of Christ. He says, I understand that God shows no partiality. Verse 35, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what's right is acceptable to him. As for the word that was sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. And by that, he means Lord of all peoples. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. That they they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach. To, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So what Peter does is, here's the gospel. And he goes, you guys kind of know this already, that God came into this world. People rejected him, but he went to the cross anyway, and he, and he hung on the tree, and he died. But God raised him from the dead, and he was alive. He's still alive. We ate with him. We drank with us. He told us to be his witnesses. And the reason why we are here, almost as Peter's is going, the reason why we're here is not just to the Jews, but it's to everybody. And this message that we've seen so powerfully work in the lives of God's people and is shaping and forming them is the same message we'll give to you. And that every, everyone who believes in him has fear of him and does what is acceptable, meaning you believe in Jesus, you follow him, you receive the grace he's given you, you act and live in obedience, a part of the community, because all of them receive the forgiveness of sins through Christ. So again, it's not the church that is leading. It's actually God that is leading and the church is following God. It's not the agenda or the mission of the church. It's the agenda or the mission and purposes of God and the faithful men and women by the power of the gospel enter into that by faith and then go tell others about how they can enter in. And it becomes good news because it's not something that we need to do. It's something that has already been done in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's powerful. And as he's preaching it, what happens? The Spirit pours out. Like Peter's not even done. The Spirit was like, been waiting. The Spirit's like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Nah, forget about it. Bam, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the, and, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for, bap- for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. The Spirit's like, this is what I've been waiting to do. Preach that gospel, watch me do my work. 
bam. It's very similar to Acts chapter 2. When Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came upon God's people, and people started speaking in different languages. But even then, it was primarily Jewish people. And so there's almost a thought that, that God was working through his grace, but also maybe if you went through some of the rituals. But now they're going, none of these men are circumcised. None of them are going through the rituals. All they did was hear the gospel, believe in Jesus, the spirit of the Lord was poured upon them. And God is working in them the same way that he's working with us. Culturally, this is massively different. This is rocking our world. This is going to be very difficult, and it has been since then. This is the work of God. So no matter how difficult, no matter how hard it is, this is what it means to walk in fellowship with Jesus and in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ who are not like me. Amen? And he says, is there any water? And I'm sure somebody was like, yeah, there's some water. And then they baptized him in the name of Jesus. Now, to, to, and they said, stay here for some days. And I guarantee you, stay some days. And it was awkward for him because they were like, Peter, Peter, let me teach you some things. I was teaching them some slang and stuff. And they, were, and they were eating things. And he was like, Peter, have you ever had rib barbecues? And he's like, no, I haven't had barbecue ribs. He's like, hey, all right, my grandma will make some sauce now. We can, we can hook you up. And Peter was like, no, nah, normally I don't. And he's done, right? And so Peter and the people with him, they have to go back because the people in Jerusalem heard what was going down. The other apostles were like, wait a minute, because God hadn't revealed to them yet. It, God hadn't revealed to them yet. He was going to. Please be patient with me because God is not through with me yet. And I think if we look at our brothers and sisters who quote unquote don't get it, and I've said that before myself, please be patient with them because God is not through with them yet in the same way that I'm going to ask you to be patient with me because God is not through with me yet. That's not an excuse to just be silly and lazy. It's just a reality to understand that I'm not there yet. God is. And as long as we're following him by faith, he'll get us exactly where we need to be when we need to be. Amen? So paraphrasing it, Paul or Peter goes back to the apostles. They're like, hey, where you been? And he was like, well, I was, in, I was down in Caesarea. Like, we knew. We see. We checked in on Facebook. We knew where you were. And we heard that you were down there uh, with some Romans. And they were like, yeah, we were, we, were, we were there. And here's what God did. And he showed them everything God had did. He talked about his vision. He talked about Cornelius' vision. And even though they were hostile at first, they couldn't reject the fact that God was at work in their lives in the same way that God had been working in the lives of the Gentiles. And so it says this in verse 17. And if then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I got all messed up here. I'm going to start over. If then God gave them the same same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Is that not regular English? Not that I always speak it, but I'm just like, I mean, I'm not going to say the Lord's words wrong, but that's why I paraphrased so much. He was like, who am I to say something when they already got the same gift we got? That's what he was kind of saying right there. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So in this moment, they're going, God, God is saying this. They realize now the only person who can say this in non-condescending but in a sacrificial way is God, that he says all lives matter in the gospel. (laughs) And they all come to the Lord, and they come through the grace, and that's the only way that we enter in, and we figure out how to do community together. So I was racking my head thinking about what implications do we have here. When you you look at the overtones of this, a lot of this centers around eating (laughs) and faith. One of the simple ways to be with a brother and sister in Christ or anyone that's outside of your normal walkings and social context is eat with people. And I look, look at the last few weeks, who have I eaten with? Like, and not like 
I just met with maybe at lunch break and accidentally ate with somebody. Who have you invited into your home that culturally is different than you? And whose home have you been invited to that is culturally different than you? And have you guys broken bread together in the name of Jesus? It could be as simple as this, finding somebody and saying, you come to my house or I'll come to your house. You bring something to eat, I bring something to eat. Share something with your food about your culture. I'll share something with my food about my culture, and let's talk Jesus. And just watch what happens there as you learn things. And as we begin to, um, by God's grace, those pieces actually begin to get put together. And that the community around us that does not yet know Jesus could look and hear the gospel, see it, and maybe God then could do the same work that he did in our life by grace that he can do in their life as well. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in your son, Jesus. You were good to us. You were faithful to us. God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you forgive us and that you had us in mind, that it was always your desire to be with us, even stronger than our desire to be with you. God, that you're in your grace, that you, you start it, you initiate it, um, you sustain it, and you complete it. Help us to participate, Lord, likewise, Lord, to understand that the gospel has broken down cultural barriers, that we may be one in Christ, but that not using our distinct, losing our distinctives, but being able to flourish and worship you together. Father, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.